Um, I, I just want to, just before I start, I just want to draw to your attention the things that have been said and prayed this morning. Because God, you know, I love this term, God is in the house. There are things that have been said, testimonies that have been shared, and prayers that have been prayed that are straight out of what it is that I want to share with you this morning. And I, and I want to draw your attention to that because that's the spirit of Christ at work in the life of the church. And that's us. That's him wanting to express his heart, his desire, his love, his passion for us and the fact that he comes to minister to us that we might be like him. And so this morning, those are some of the things that I want to touch on. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for that, your presence and that you, your heart, Lord, you're busting at the seams to want to see our lives changed and transformed by you and by your power and by your presence and by your love. And so, Jesus, thank you for that. And we commit ourselves to that end this morning and ongoing, Lord, to hear from you. Lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask the question of anyone here as a parent, and those of you that aren't parents, you'll have observed this. Does anyone have any perfect children? Oh, I saw those hands up the back. <laughs> of course, it was Andrew Koenig and Matt standing next to him, so they put the hand up together. So there's a deal, you know, father and son deal here. None of us have perfect children, do we? Uh, we've recently, um, recently uh, had our grandson, who's 12, you know, puberty's kicked in. Uh, and, you know, I've already been through that with four boys, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, whoops, here we go again. You know, it's a simple thing like he's eating his dinner but not using a knife, just using a fork and it's chicken. And rather than cut it in, he's shoveling the chicken in and then biting it off with the mashed potato all over it. And I'm thinking, Marilyn's going to all this trouble to cook it and he's kind of, you know, slobbering it in. It was like feeding a mulching machine, you know. It was just going into his mouth. And I said, simply said, I was about to say his name, but anyway, you know his name. I said, Josh... Please use your knife. Well, it was kind of like I'd said, go and move the world. <laughs> the reaction I got, the body language, it's just like this thing rose up within him across the table. And from that point on, it was, the knife was out, but the food was sort of moving around the plate. <laughs> you know, it was like using a chainsaw to cut, you know, a piece of chicken. And so there was this response that went on and on and on. And in the end, he said, I'm full, got up and left the table. But he didn't finish his meal. And, uh, and, <laughs> and so, of course, I'm sitting there and Marilyn sort of just gently put a hand on me and said, steady boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to go after him, you know, like. But, but we just let it go. And so, and then he went down to his room and Marilyn went down and said something. Marilyn's got magic words. She went down and said something and he came back and sat down and it was all good. Uh, I want to... I use that illustration to suggest the fact that for you and I, for you and I, are we perfectly obedient to God? Are we perfect children? No. Matter of fact, if we go back to Adam and Eve, God, God couldn't stop Adam and Eve from sinning, could he? Because he gives us free choice. And that's what God wants to do. He gives us free choice. And so I don't know about you, but there are days when you know, I have dummy spits with God. It's okay, God can handle it. 
But I have dummy spits with God because God will speak to me about something. He'll challenge me about something in my life, about a thought or an action or something that I've said or something that's going on in my life. And I'll react like Joshy did. And I'll sort of arc up. And, and God, in his wisdom, just kind of, he lets us like stew in that for a while. But he loves us. And we know he's there and he comes and he continues to speak to us, continues to love us, continues for us to be knowing his presence, wanting for him to be there, wanting to reach out to him, but at the same time struggling in our own heart to be obedient to what it is that God is asking us about, that he's challenging us about. And of course, God has perfect will and understanding and knows all things. And so he sees all of our life we see but one moment, but he sees all of our life. And we're on this journey of God working in our life in that moment and struggling with that. And God is there wanting to speak to us and to minister to our hearts that we might be in the place of saying, okay, Lord, yeah, I need to do that. To change, to repent, to bring an apology, whatever it is that God is dealing with in our life. And so... This morning, I, I want to explore that a bit from a number of different angles. Um, and so, my lovely sister here is going to help me by trying to keep up with me on the PowerPoint. What I want to do is, I, just, I want to explore this particular theme this morning around obedience and power from the heart. Obedience and power from the heart. Because God does not, we don't receive Jesus as Saviour and then God pats us on the head and says, go for a boy, it's over to you. Because if he did that, what would happen? Would we succeed or would we fail? It's all right, you can talk to me, it's okay. Would we succeed or would we fail? We would fail, wouldn't we? We would fail from day one, miserably. But God, in his wisdom, because he knows who we are, doesn't do that. I just want to read to you, I, I, I kind of put together a little thing around, what does Christianity look like? Oh, and by the way... Um, if someone asks you, I, 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 you know, I got saved in the 70s, and you know, it was kind of like, you know, everybody was into the alternate, which included, you know, the stars. So when I ever got asked the question about uh, the stars, they said, oh, what's, what star sign are you born under? I would say, I was born under the sign of the cross. Because I have been born again, haven't I? Haven't we? Yeah, so I was born under the sign of the cross. And that either leads into a conversation, or a f- it stops a conversation really quick. All right. A definition just for me around Christianity. Christianity is about being a disciple of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Being a disciple is about a personal relationship with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this relationship is based on faith and belief in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection and his ascension to heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father with all power and all authority, praying for us. The Father has sent the promised Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to be in our hearts and in our lives, to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us to live this life of faith based on his word. As we walk daily with Jesus, seeking to honour him, and to be changed from one degree of glory to the next, to be more like him, out with the old and in with the new. Our heart for his heart, 
to call him Saviour, to call him Lord of our life, all for the glory of God. Can you say amen? Amen. So there are some fundamental things in, in that that, that that I want to just have a look at this morning. And so the first one of those is, it's a relationship, thank you, it's a relationship that's based out of faith. Is the verse. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So even our faith in God and thinking about Jackie, was that, is that the lady's name, Jackie? Yeah, thinking about Jackie. See, God is at work in her heart and in her life, and the faith that she will have and come to one day of putting her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this verse is telling us that that is not of ourselves, it's actually a gift of God. It's the work of God that causes us to have faith. And not only for us to find salvation, but also to continue to walk with him. It's God at work in our hearts and in our lives. I'm trying the new technology here and I've lost my page already. All right, the second part of that is that the relationship is based on loving God. It's God first. Now Jesus said, and we all know this verse, Mark 12, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. So is there any bit left out? No, it's all, it's everything. We must love God with everything. Thirdly, the relationship is based on obedience from the heart, from beginning to end. And Jesus said in, in John, he said these three things, if you love me, obey my commandments. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. So there's a, a, an intimate connection here between I love Jesus, therefore I will obey him. Because I obey Jesus, therefore I love him. There's that intimate connection, those two things. So if you were to say you're a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, then you will obey him because you love God. Now, I'll go back to where I started. Are we perfect children? No. Do we, do we love God perfectly? No. Does God understand that? Yes, he does. And that's really important. See, obedience is dependence and trust in God. Obedience is the response of someone who is in a relationship with him of love and of faith and obedience. See, we, we need to trust God. Now, you've all done that trust exercise, and I could get someone to come up, you know, and you stand there, you know, and you say, fall over. Who's not been caught? No one. Oh, 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 oh there you go. There's always someone in the room that doesn't get caught. <laughs> Would you ever do that exercise again? Oh, okay. Shall we try? What do you reckon? No. <laughs> I've often done that trust exercise, you know, when you stand close and you get someone to fall and you're right there and they go, oh, yes, that's good. But then you say, let's do it again. But you step back. And the next time they fall, <gasps> you know, it's like... And I've even done it where I've got down on my knees like this, almost on the floor, and caught someone. Still caught them. But, oh, I tell you what, did they freak out? Sometimes I think God does that for us. Do you trust me? And he's so close. Now he's there. And you think, oh, this is good. Yeah. And then the next time something happens, you go, oh, God, I've got to trust you. And you go, oh. 
because God's still there, isn't he? God still wants to catch you, but he's kind of like stepped back and it's, it's building the relationship. It's building our sense of who he is. It's building our trust in him. Does God honour that? Yes, he does. Has God ever let us fall on the floor? No. We might think he does, but God never does that. So we trust and we depend on him. And it's an interactive relationship. It's an interactive relationship. God speaking to us and us speaking to him. And that's a really powerful thing that God wants to do that. And he leads us and guides us. And it's in our submission to God that we are letting God be God. And us trying as best we can to stay in the proper place with him. The place of dependence, a place of surrender, a place of obedience out of love and the goodness of God. The life of obedience is a response to God's gracious invitation. And it's lived as a life of increasing dependency and intimacy with him. So if I was to ask you the question, my, my confession for you is that, for Marilyn and I, we've been married 30... I'll let her do the maths. Because, you know, if you stand up the front and get it wrong, what happens? You get... <laughs> 37 years, right. Okay, 1978. I, I would have to say to you, in that time, we've actually, and this is Stephen's fault, we've actually ended up twice in a pastor's office with Marilyn saying, it's over. Not a good spot. But, in the midst of that, you see, the intimacy, the dependency, the trust, the love. Somebody was stepping away from that. Somebody was busy doing other things. And so the relationship breaks down. And we can do the same with God. We can be in a place of stepping back from God's love. Stepping back from, does God move? Does God move? No, no, God never moves. He's constant. He's always there. You can't, there's nowhere you can go to get away. In the Psalms, David said, it doesn't matter whether I go to the highest place or the lowest place, like hell itself, you are there. There's nowhere we can go to get away from God. But we can be in a place where we step back from God. We step back from his presence. We step back from his voice. Our relationship broke down because I was busy doing other things. And I didn't hear, I'll say, the cry of Marilyn's heart, which was she wanted to be loved. She wanted to be embraced. She wanted to have the times where we would sit and have coffee and talk together. It's all good now, by the way. I just, uh, so, it's all good. It's all, isn't it that right here? Yes, it's all good. It's all good. All right. I got the approval. That's good. But you see, we can do that with God. And then, and then because of our humanity, we say, God, where are you? Something goes wrong and, and we say, God, where are you? And that still small voice says, I'm right here. But our sense is that we've withdrawn. God wants for us to live our Christian life. Our, our obedience comes out of the fact of our love for him. For many of us as Christians, you know, we kind of look at our life and go, oh, mate, it looks like a dog's breakfast. But in the midst of that, it's actually not about that. It's actually in the midst of that that God ministers. It's in the midst of that that God comes and he speaks. It's in the midst of that that God's power comes and, and, 
He reveals himself in the midst of our dog's breakfast because that's who he is and that's what he wants to do. I'm not suggesting all of you, your lives are a mess. I'm not saying that. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that. You know, there's so much going on, so much stuff there and I'm thinking, God, help me in this. And he does and he wants to. God wants to express the intimacy of his heart to us in the midst of all of our stuff. Jesus gave us the great commandment and uh, he said this. Jesus told the disciples, I have, given, I, have, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always. Now, just quickly, there are four things there. First one, Jesus' authority over all things. The second one is Jesus as Saviour. Make disciples and baptise them. And we saw that the other week when we had the baptisms. Confession of faith and baptism. The next one is Jesus as Lord. Teach them to obey all the commands. And the fourth one, Jesus' presence in everything. Those four things are in there. And the third one is the one... so. How do we deal with obeying all of the commandments? Thank you. Of Jesus' commands. Obeying all of Jesus' commands. How do we do that? What does that look like? Anybody apart from me struggle with that? I'm sure we all do. Lord, I want to obey you. I want to be obedient to what it is that you're saying to me. And I don't want to be kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, I'll think about it. My heart desire is I want to be in the place Jesus says, do this, it's done. Jesus says, say this, it's done. You know, do, be this, it's done. That's, that's my heart's desire. Do I get there? No. <laughs> no. And we all face that. So there's a verse in Philippians and it, and it kind of summarises that. It says this in verse 12 and 13, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I summarise this as love and obey God is our part and God's part is God works in you for his good purpose. God works in you for his good purpose. So there are two things. There's a working out and there's a working in. The working out is our part, to work out your salvation. Working in is God's part. That's God working his purpose, his good purpose, in our hearts and in our lives. This does not say work for your salvation, does it? Because we don't do that, do we? It's by faith. It's by grace. It's not by works. It's not by our effort that we come to Christ. It's by faith. But there is effort in the grace that we receive to then work out that salvation in our hearts and in our lives. So it says to work it out. Paul is saying that we need to develop what we already have. Work out the implications. Start growing. You know, uh, last week Neil spoke about the fact, and the week before, about, you know, fruit. You know, horticulture is my background in training. I've got an ag science degree. And, and so, you know, if you don't, if you stick a plant in the ground and don't water it, it'll die. You stick a plant in the ground and there's no nutrient in that, like, say, straight sand, it eventually, it'll go all yellow and crinkly and it'll die. Will it ever fruit? No. But God has given us all of the promises in God 
are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So we have got the perfect situation for us to grow. And so here it's saying in this verse, work out your salvation. Take what you know and understand and start to grow. Add to that. And so, you know, in the same way you grow a tree, you've got to come back and put some fertilizer or manure or compost. Depends on what your view of the world is, you know. But you have to do something. You've got to keep making the input for it to grow and for it to bear fruit and continue to bear fruit. And some trees you have to prune because if you don't prune them, there is no fruit. And does God prune us? Yeah, he does. And sometimes that's painful. But it's all about growing. We need to grow. And so here it's about working out our salvation that we might grow. Um, you, you mentioned about going to the gym. So who, who goes to the gym and walks in and sits down and watches everyone sweat and work out and they're straining on their face, oh, yeah, oh, get there and then you walk out and you've got a perfect body. Is that a good gym? I like that gym. <laughs> what do we say? No pain, no gain. You go into the gym with the body that you have, a bit needy at the moment, um, and, and you work at it, don't you? You work it out. You work on your abs. You work on, and I really need to do that. You work on, you know, your biceps and your triceps. You work on your back. You work on your thighs. You work on your calves. You work it so that as you do that, it grows. It changes. It becomes the exercise that you put in place. If it's just feeding this one, then this is the exercise. This is the outcome, I can tell you. But if you do the other, as Luke has, good on you, Luke. He's an inspiration, isn't he? I keep looking at him and saying, you're still fading away, mate. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. But you know, that's, you've got to work it out. You've got to work at it. It doesn't just happen. You know, when I was a Christian, I, I, when I first got saved, I often used to say, God, why can't it just be, I'm saved, I've gone to heaven. Yes! Because there's a journey, isn't it, that God wants us to go. And that journey is to learn about him and to love him and to obey him. And so we need to work it out. We need to work it out. Then it says, work out your salvation. So he's talking about an individual assignment. Accept personal responsibility for your growth. It's not the church's responsibility for you to grow. The church is a place where you can grow. Just like a small group is a place where you can grow. Having friends that are Christians is a place where you can grow. Having friends that are not Christians is a place that you can grow. Because you get challenged about stuff. Accept personal responsibility. You, it's your salvation. Work out your salvation. Not someone else's. It's yours individually. See, God has a personal relationship with each one of us. God doesn't have a relationship with the mob, does he? You know, it says he knows the hair on our head. He knows every thought before we think it. This is a personal God. So if you look at other faiths, other religions, it's about the mob mentality. It's not about the individual. Whereas Jesus comes and he knows who we are. He doesn't want cookie-cutter Christians. He wants us to walk with him. Question, what does the kingdom of God mean to your life? What does the kingdom of God look like in your life? That's your salvation to work out. It's personal. With fear and trembling, it says, there is an, an aspect of awe and of reverence for God as a holy God. That comes from a deep and sincere love for God. It acknowledges that everything that we do God sees. 
I'll go back to what I was saying. We, there's nowhere we can go where we're not in his presence. God sees it. And we, we, our heart's desire is that we don't want to sin. We don't want to offend God, but that we live in a place where we walk with him, knowing that we, we have a sincere desire not to offend him or to grieve him, but to obey him, to honour him, to please him, and to glorify him. It's about taking our discipleship seriously. So that's our bit. Work out your salvation. And then for it is God who works in you. That's God's part. In the Greek, it uses the word energizer. I thought of energizer batteries, you know. God is the energizer for change in our lives. He says, I will give you the power to do what you want to do. I will empower you. His, he, his power at work in us. We do our bit to will and to act, and God will do his bit, which is to empower us, to energize us by his power and his presence. It's by faith that we come to trust him, and it's by faith that the power of God is activated in, my, in our lives. So if I was to go and ask somebody for a bobby pin, and I went and got an extension cord and unplugged it and then took the bobby pin and stuck it in the end of the extension cord, what would happen to Stephen? Would that be a one-time illustration? You think so? <laughs> I did that when I was a kid. Anyway, I'm still here. <laughs> but it'd be a one-time illustration. If there's no power turned on, I can do all I like and nothing happens, does it? But if I turn the power on, what happens? <laughs> I get fried. Okay. How much power, I want to ask you this question, how much power does God have? We'll get there. So if I take my extension cord and plug it into the wall, it's got how many volts? Come on, talk to me, fellas. Ladies, thank you. 240. I saw that, Marie. It was true quick. 240. Good on you, Marie. How much power is out in the circuit breaker, out in the box on the street? 240 or? Thank you. 415 volts. Okay, so now I go to the next level. How much is out on the street on the power pole? 415 or is it more? More. Okay, so now I go back to, you know, the big, the big power cables, you know, the really tall towers. How much power is running up there? More or less? More again. If I go right back to the power station out of the island, how much is coming, how much is out there at the power station? Is there more or less? More. See, our faith turns on God's power in our hearts and our lives. If I plug it into the wall, turn the switch on, and I've got the extension cord at the end of it here, I have all the potential for that power, don't I? Don't I? All the potential is in that power. What do I need to do? Plug it in. The toaster don't work unless I plug it in there. Or even better, the coffee machine doesn't work unless I don't, unless I don't plug it in. Kettle doesn't boil. Whatever your favourite thing is, we live in a world of power, don't we? And we understand power and we work with power. Think of the extension cord, got to plug it in. But it's got to be turned on. So, what does this power look like from God? What does this power look like from God? I've got three minutes, got to be quick. All right. There's this wonderful verse in Ephesians and it says this, <clears throat> I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, think about that, the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
and his incomparable power, sorry, incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him his right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every knee that is, sorry, every name, it's going to get every knee will bow, <laughs> and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Come, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church. Who's the church? Us. It's all been done for us. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. That's us. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. The eyes of our heart might be enlightened in order that we may know. He's not concerned about the external circumstance, but rather our inward experience of his presence and his power. This is what it is that Paul, this, this prayer that Paul prays is just phenomenal. In here, it's, the secret is it's not about head knowledge. I have met people that know the Bible back to front, upside down, inside out. They can quote verses coming out of their ears. And you look at their life, it's as dead as a dodo. It is dead. There is no life of Christ in them. You can't say that this person knows and loves and has a relationship with Jesus. It's about heart knowledge. Here he says that the eyes of your heart go back to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. It's about our hearts. We need to have a heart knowledge of Jesus and God and his presence and his power. And that's just what we need, a spirit-given revelation of the reality of God's power at work in us. And then it goes on, it says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's not only is there power, but it's incomparably great. Again, it's extravagance. It's like the power of the power station. It's all there trying to barrel down this wire to get to 240. God's incomparable power. According, and, and here's Paul trying to write down what it is, this revelation that God's given, this understanding that's in his own heart and in his life. And he's trying to think, what can I compare it to? What is this incomparable power comparable to? And he can't think of anything. He can't think of anything in the human realm. And so he says, according to the working of his mighty power, which he exerted in Christ, when God raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand, and gave him all authority and the name above every name. This is the power that God has manifest in you and me, in those of us who believe. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And all that he is, all that he is, is available to us by faith in his name. 